1: Brent and Chase Woolsey. Well, hello, and welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I'm Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management, and also proud investing partners of the San Diego Padres. Uh, today, we're gonna uh, got a lot of great things on the show to talk about. I'm gonna kick off the show with the uh, uh, the jobs report came out last week, but after analyzing even further, found some very interesting information. I want to kind of share with you. Also, cryptocurrency once again in the news. Uh, lawsuits against them, not from some other companies, but from somebody you want to deal with. And that's the SEC. We'll talk more about that. Uh, Wrestle 3000, uh, some things happening there about uh, buybacks. We're going to share that with you. And also egg prices, nothing at all cracked up about, but we'll talk about that as well. <laughs>
2: Chase? Hey, well, well, good to be here. As always, you want to join the show, phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Here to take any questions you may have in the financial world. You may be looking at buying a stock. We call them, again, equities. Is it a buy, sell, or hold? We'll, we'll break down those fundamentals for you and give you our opinion on where that stock stands.
1: All righty. Well, we'll let, let's start uh, with the jobs report because it did come out uh, last week. We talked about it uh last show. Actually probably two weeks ago, not last week, at uh a week. We talked about last week on the show, so prior to our show last week is when it came out last Friday. We could go this past Friday. Let came cool. out on the second. We talked about it on 3rd. The there we go. Now Thanks, Thanks we're here the <laughs> <laughs> so After digging more into it uh, and analyzing the recent jobs report, I noticed some uh, good news that was, well, it was kind of buried in the report. I had to dig deep for it. Uh, there's been concerns in the, uh, this job market about the labor force, potentially patient rate remaining flat at 62.6%, which is still below the February 2020 pre-pandemic level of 63.3.
2: And I've talked about this before, but actually not to get some numbers on it, but what appears to be happening is that the aging U.S. population is causing more workers to retire. The good news is that we have not seen or read before is that for workers ages 25 to 54, the participation rate is now 83.4%. This is a level not seen since 2007. So the working Age group is is working. Is it's working, good. Right. You know, a lot of people say they're not working. They are working. <laughs>
1: and, and that was a big surprise to me because they, oh, nobody wants to work anymore. Well, maybe they're not working hard, but they are at the job. And eighty three point four percent, and not seen since two thousand seven. So we talk about oh, things you know, a few years ago. No, we're we're going back. What's that? Fifteen years of going back. Sixteen years. Uh, not been that rate. So people in that working age group, and those are I don't say the hardest workers, but uh, I how do i i mean most eligible to actually
2: do i'd say the most diverse set of jobs there you know go. if you're in your 70s it's going to be very hard to work construction i mean you're yeah you're not as flexible outside those age ranges in that age range you could pretty much do any type of job now right not every person can do any type of job but right
1: now above 55 60 and so forth you have more wisdom you're a little bit smarter maybe uh and again experience wisdom, experience you have more experience but you cannot go out there and work as hard as somebody that's uh, 30 years old versus when you're 60, you're not going to be able to, you know, carry the, the pipes if you're a plumber or, you know, different things that you're you're going to be able to do so it's uh uh, an important thing to kind of uh, look at that bring
2: out and i was glad to see it and it's something that that i had wondered because we've talked a lot about the asset appreciation i mean we know real estate's done well over the years we know the stock market's done well over the years you know you get to a point you're maybe you're 64 65 years old and you got a couple million dollars and you know i'll say net worth in your house and in your portfolio maybe you have a pension coming in and you say I I don't need to work anymore. Do I want to work? No, not really. Right. So, I mean, it's you don't have to work. And I I think with all that asset price inflation appreciation, I'll call it, I, I think it really took a lot of people out of the workforce, which isn't necessarily a, a bad thing but we do need to replace them over the next couple of years and that's where hopefully you know those Gen Z younger workers are coming up and and they'll be hopefully contributing more to the workforce in the coming years
1: Right. I, I think the news that I would talked about that last week I think it was about uh, the replacement because we're just not having enough babies here what if we just counted on people here in the US producing enough babies going forward our population will go down yeah. So we do need to account on immigration, which is very important. And it's not like, oh, it's, it's terrible. We need to vet it, I think, a little bit better. But back in the early 1900s building the railroads, back then I believe the number was 5 million immigrants came in. And we did not have over 300 million people in the <laughs> country at that point in time. So there are times you need that immigration to come in to take the jobs because we have a good growing economy. And if you don't have that, the economy will go the other way and you'll have
2: problems. Well, so. and real quick it is in the the newsletter that that we'll talk about more here but i mean it's a huge problem if you have people collecting on social security and not paying into it i mean if our population declines it's not going to be a sustainable you know strong economy we're going to have huge issues and it's something that that we do need to fix we do need to turn around and and doing it the right way obviously and and having legal immigration having you know more babies over time (laughs) essentially (laughs) that that can help you know build a strong economy essentially
1: yeah yeah so is that in this week's newsletter okay good okay well we'll promote that <laughs> a little bit later on when this here uh a crypto lawsuit and, and not by somebody that again is somebody suing them because they lost their money this is from the sec and I, I i gotta point out on my social media on facebook there's only one person left that still fights me on crypto saying you don't get it you don't understand it he came up with something called april 2024 and then the, the response i said well what is that see you don't know anything about crypto and so forth it's like and then what he told me was it still makes no sense at all but what i said to him i said well let me kind of read what's going on here because the crypto lawsuit the sec is back on the front page news as they are fighting against cryptocurrencies now on monday they sued the large crypto firm binance saying that they were operating as an illegal trading platform in the united states and misused customer funds the sec also said they engaged in manipulative Trade which made the volume of trading appear larger than it really was. It also was pointed out that they are commingling billions of dollars in customer assets and that they sent them to a third party. The SEC has named the company and also the CEO, uh, oh, how do you say CZ? It? What
2: is that? He goes by CZ. Okay, so well, we'll, let's we'll say CZ because I look at that
1: name like, what is that name? <laughs> CZ in the lawsuit on Tuesday. The SEC filed a lawsuit against Coinbase which is responsible for 53% of the crypto spot trading volume in the
2: U.S. Now, the SEC pointed to the company not being registered as an exchange to trade securities. When a company is required to register with the SEC, it involves giving investors financial statements and risk disclosures that have been approved by the regulators. Now, could these two major lawsuits bring cryptos to their knees? I would believe so. Where will the activity go if the major traders are now gone? I was surprised to learn that some of the biggest shareholders of Coinbase are Vanguard, Fidelity, BlackRock, Morgan Stanley, and Goldman Sachs. And in April 2021, Coinbase started trading at $381 per share. Today, it's around $50 a share. Now, I think some of the big guys got sucked into the hype of cryptos. Unfortunately, their investors are now paying the price. One other thing I was thinking about, though, is a lot that we mentioned there, like Vanguard, Fidelity, those could be passive funds that are buying Coinbase.
1: Oh, like ETFs, you mean? ETFs. That so they just I, have to buy, yeah.
2: I don't know if they're the active managers that are, right. are buying those, so it is something that, that I was just kind of thinking is, yeah, I good, mean, if you buy point. the S&P 500, you know, a Vanguard is just buying that. It, it could, by, by nature, just be buying the index. Right,
1: right. And, and, and we continue to talk about this, because I know there's still some people, well, I got some crypto, and uh, it, it no matter how you look at I don't know what this gentleman from Facebook, David, was talking about, about April 2024. It, it, and even – what's the SEC's chairman's name? Do you remember his Gary name? Gensler. Yeah. i oh, we going to confuse the Intel chairman. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Similar names. But Gary Gensler uh, saying that we have digital currency. It's called the U.S. dollar. It's called the yen. I mean, he you can t- when you listen to him talk and he is a chairman, so he doesn't come out and, and bash it, but you can hear him say very negative things that – this is something that's bad for people. We don't need it, it's not gonna work, it's a gambling chip, and we need to get rid of it. And the way they'll get rid of it is that you stop the way people can buy it, uh, supply-wise, and you'll protect people. Because people have lost a lot of money on crypto, you don't hear about that, but people, I know there's people that bought it 50,000, 60,000, and now they're sitting with a 50% 50% loss.
2: Yeah, and I, I don't know if it'll come back. And I mean, we, we did another post. I wanted to bring out these numbers because sure. it, it's just something that, that, again, we don't know crypto. Well, I do a lot of reading. We do a Fact. lot of reading on it. I mean, there's just some things that came out in a Barron's report, uh, Barron's article last week that, you know, the crypto market's worth about $1.1 $1. 1 trillion. However, it's all self reported data. There's no auditors <laughs> or anything that's involved in it. That sounds crazy. The other thing is, you know, there's billions of tokens that are now not circulating. It's estimated that between one-fifth to one-third of the supply is sitting off the market in what are known as stranded walls. We talk about how people forget yeah. their passwords. Well, now that is not trading, so it's locked up. That's not becoming new supply on the market, so it kind of gives a false sense of what is you know readily available supply, which actually increases the price. Because if you have more people now putting that on the market and selling it, that's going to depress the price if you can't find the demand. Right. So it's a, a false sense of, of positive price action. And the last one, this just blows me away, is that there's something called wash trades. And this is where a trader buys and sells a token to create that illusion of volume, as we talked about in this lawsuit from the SEC. Well, the National Bureau of Economic Research said that their belief is about 70% of crypto transactions on unregulated exchanges are wash trades. Yep. So all this volume is like, oh, no, everybody's trading. It's like, no, I, it it's... There's some big, big problems.
1: See, and these this is what you and I read, and we read this stuff and understand it. We have no clue, and the, I, even I looked at it, it's like I still don't understand what April 2024 is going to be. I don't care what's going to happen then or you think going to happen. This is what's really happening, these wash sales, these, these unreported trades. I mean, all this stuff that's going on is what is going to destroy it because you've got to have – A market to it so uh, and this guy David's the only one left that's really fighting it and I I know he's telling other people oh you know this is great and so forth no if you have crypto get rid of it it is not going to do well and I'm sure that some people gonna fight me on that but there's less and less people arguing with us now aren't there
2: yeah and I mean the other thing I look at too is the the CEO of Coinbase was on CNBC this past week and when he was talking I was just like who is buying this stuff I, I mean, he, and Jim Cramer, who you know we agree with on things, he was very hard on yeah. crypto, and he's been a lot harder on it lately. And the CEO when he was on from Coinbase was just—they were asking in response to the CEO, uh, not the CEO, the, the head of the SEC, saying, you know, oh, we don't need crypto. He's like, well, you know, people use crypto for a lot of different things, like you know, you know, uh, buying things and you know, artwork and. I was like, "What? Like the, <laughs> and, and this is the CEO of Coinbase, and he can't even really give a viable use for cryptocurrency. That is a huge concern. At the end of the interview, they go, "Well, so should people be buying crypto?" And He says, This <laughs> makes me laugh." <laughs> you know, I always tell people, "Don't if don't be investing in crypto unless you're basically willing to lose everything." In it. <laughs> and and that's paraphrase is not for beta money said, but. Right. Essentially, that was his right. message, was like, yeah, you could lose everything. I told Harrison, our financial planner, I said, gosh, I couldn't imagine telling our clients, hey, yeah, if you're going to invest with us, be ready to lose everything. everything. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's quite, uh, quite the sales pitch. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and, and and it
1: just shows these things. And that's why, and again, we have a lot of people listen to the radio show and the podcast and all this stuff, is try to educate people if you're in it. You know, more and more doors are closing on that. I think they'll continue to close. And uh, uh, was that in the newsletter? that? Because uh, I remember reading that, too, in, in Barron's. Uh, did we put that in the newsletter for people? We didn't... We didn't...
2: Uh, all those numbers I just gave? Yeah. Yeah, the, those were all in the newsletter as was well. Was that
1: last week or this week? This week. This
2: week. Oh. So we had a lot of good topics in the okay. newsletter this week. Good. okay. And, you know, the, the last thing I'll just say about crypto is I always tell people, if you're going to buy it, look at yourself in the mirror and say, what is the purpose of crypto? And if you can't come up with a good, sound answer, then don't buy it. Not, oh, I think it's going to go up. That's a terrible reason to buy it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because it starts
2: going down, now you have no reason to hold it. Right. All
1: right, well, there's our lesson on crypto. If you're not clear what we said, we're saying don't buy crypto, get out of crypto. It is going to be a loser's game. I think it's pretty clear. So let's move on, talk about uh, the Russell 3000, because as individual investors and institutional investors have become somewhat shy about investing in equities companies in the russell 3000 show plans to buy back more than 600 billion of their shares in 2023 buying back shares lowers the share count and this can increase earnings per share and show a better value with a lower price to earnings ratio
2: and in a recent report actually goldman sachs analysts announced that over the last 25 years companies who have bought back their stock have performed better than those companies using their extra cash for things like capital expenditures mergers and acquisitions now, the Russell 3000 is an index of the 3000 largest corporations in the United States, and it represents nearly 98% of the entire market capitalization of all U.S. stocks.
1: And I'm hoping that Congress heard that, or the president, or somebody heard that, because the ones that, oh, because the, they now tax buybacks, was it 1%, 2%? It's like
2: one and a half, or yeah. somewhere in there, yeah. And somewhere.
1: they want to they raise it because they think it's not the right thing to do. And I remember this was like months ago before they even did it. There were companies that back in the 80s, that they didn't buy back stock. They invested into other parts of the business and they lost billions. Sometimes investing in the company is the right thing to do because you're saying, hey, this is a good company. Uh, we've got nothing better to do with the cash. There's nothing out there we can profit on. So let's buy back our shares to make profits for all the shares. Everybody wins from that, not all every- the corporations. No, it's everybody. If you had you know 10 shares of XYZ company, you're going to benefit because the earnings will go up because there's less shares outside. Oh, it's not
2: just the earnings, it's the cash flow, it's the sales, Everything. it's the assets, the yeah. equity of the company. I mean, you get more of that business essentially, and it, it is such a benefit. And you know, even Warren Buffett and I, I know he I almost say he's apolitical, but I think he's leaned more Democrat right. over the last several even he's like, if you don't understand buybacks and how they're beneficial, you're illiterate, I think. Yeah, I, t- think I think that. this is a term <laughs> he use. And it's so true. I mean, buybacks do help. And I will say one thing about the study is I think it can be somewhat skewed because what it is, I mean, you look back over the last 25 years, is your growth stocks many times aren't buying back stock. Well, 25 years now includes the tech bust. So you have these companies that during the tech bust weren't buying back stock because they were growing and they got yeah. egregiously overpriced, they crashed. Right. Your value stocks, those are generally the ones that are buying back stock over time. They're, they didn't witness that same type of fall that a lot of the growth stocks did during that time frame. And this, again, I, I think proves why we like the value investing is because generally these companies that are buying back stock, paying dividends in many cases, are going to be much more stable over the course of time. Than your Nvidia's, than your Amazon's. Right. And I know Amazon, I think, announced a stock buyback. I don't know if they've actually gone through with it. I think it'd be silly for them to buy back stock, but we'll, we'll see what happens there.
1: And that's the other thing, too. Uh, two rules I don't like. One is you're buying back your stock, you don't have the cash, gotta borrow for it. That That's a, a, a no no. Uh, the other one, too, is that if your stock's overpriced, don't buy back your stock when it's overpriced, trading at, you know, 30, 40 times earnings because it's going to fall. And then, and I've seen this happen with companies. They bought it at a very high price. And then two years later, it's, you know, down 30, 40%. That was a waste of time. Just like an investor, look at is there value to this company? You should not be buying back the stock of your own company if it's overpriced. Wait for the time, keep the cash, do something else because it's an alternative to can invest the money in other businesses or do a stock buyback don't buy it when it's expensive. Just be patient yeah. like an investor should be.
2: Exactly. And, yeah. and one other thing I was I was thinking is a lot of times people hear all these different things like the Russell 2000, and the 1000, and they don't know mm-hmm. what it is. So I'm just going to, obviously the 3000 encompasses all those companies. The Russell yeah. 1000 is the largest 1000 companies <laughs> and the Russell 3000 and the Russell 2000 is the, the smallest 2000. So that's generally when you, you look at small caps you'll you'll get an index of the Russell 2000. So uh, just a little Less than there for people.
1: Yeah, and the Russell t- three thousand, t- as you said, makes up ninety eight percent of the entire market capitalization of all the US stocks. So it's a
2: it's a big indicator. And Apple's we talked about this a few weeks ago. Apple's bigger than two thousand companies. <laughs> they're, they're larger than the Russell two thousand. <laughs> right.
1: So well let's talk about inflation because I know that people are still concerned about inflation. I will I do want to point out that uh last June, remember inflation was what, nine point two percent? We got inflation numbers coming out this week uh which we'll be reporting on we'll talk about next week actually you won't be here next week on the show so i'll be talking about next week yeah uh but we will come out with those numbers you, you sure you you don't want to come to the show next week because that's gonna be some big numbers talk uh, about. gotta i'll be in arizona <laughs> all right well let's talk about egg prices because good news on the uh, food front especially if you like eggs like i do uh the bird flu known as the avian influenza uh pushed egg prices up to four dollars per dozen in january Fortunately, there now appears to be some good signs of improvements. The bird flu killed about 59 million birds in the U.S. since February 2022, but it appears that farmers now have it under control.
2: If you actually look at the average retail prices, well, they are $2.70 per dozen at the end of April. Again, well below the $4 just six months ago in January. Now, those farmers, they're working hard to protect the flocks from infection, which means more expenses. So we may not see much more of a decline in prices for now. But if we continue on this path and inventories rise dramatically, well, then we could actually see some more price declines over the next six months or so. Again, everything... Is based off of supply and demand. So yep. important to understand. Now, time to go have yourself a nice egg and cheese omelet. You know, nice Saturday morning here. You can yeah. go have a nice omelet.
1: Yep. And and that <clears throat> we didn't talk about that there, but uh, also too that brings down the price of chicken as well because <clears throat> there's more birds. And one thing too, I I I I'm not a farmer, but I think for it, based on what I've read here, for chicken to go to maturity, so to speak, is not that long. I think it's like a year or two as opposed to a human is what, about 18, 20 years. So uh, the benefit is that, yeah, we're, we're getting through that. And that's why you gotta be patient with this stuff. That will bring it down. If cost of chicken comes down, then what'll happen is that people maybe stop by less beef, buy more chicken, then the price of beef will go down. So it, and it takes months for this to happen. And that's why we've not been worried about inflation because we saw these things that really pushed it very high, which are now changing. And uh, I, I'm optimistic about the report coming in uh, uh, this coming week.
2: Well, I talked about this a lot, too, is, you know, uh, looking at the inputs. And you look at eggs. I mean, it, it, egg prices don't just affect if you're going to go, you know, have some scrambled eggs or something. I mean, you got to think about bakers. Bakers, oh, yeah. you know, they're, they're baking. Now they they have less input costs, so that helps with the price of, you know, pies, cakes, whatever it may be. That is a huge thing to understand of how intricate, and intertwined, the economy really is at the end of the day. And if we start to see these changes in a lot of the input prices, I'm very excited to see PPI come out next week. That is a huge benefit to inflation over the next, you know, say six to 12 months. And it's something we've kept a close eye on. When we saw PPI go up to like 13% last year, like, oh my gosh, this is not going to be good for CPI. It wasn't. Last month, I think PPI was like, producer price producer price index was in like 2.7% or something. Yep. That should be beneficial going forward especially if it stays low.
1: Yep. So, well, if you like the newsletter, uh it is uh goes out every Friday. It is free. What you need to go need to do is go to our website smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, sign up for, it's right in the middle of Pace's newsletter, sign up for it right there. You get it every Friday at five o'clock. Other topics we have coming up on the newsletter that you'll see there is olive oil. Uh, black crude oil is not the only one that was going up in price. Uh, olive oil was as well. Talk about that. Uh, declining population. Uh, what the problem that can be. Stealing cars in the U S housing market. These are all things that we talk about on the newsletter. Uh, also to college athletes, uh, a thing think past uh, that we want to talk about that. Uh, cause all these. Affect the economy. They affect, and they may not affect the investing directly now, but we look at things or trends that could be happening to, to affect the economy. So they, these are things that are very important to look at. Again, go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. That's smartinvesting2000.com. Also, do a lot of great uh, other information there as well. So sign up for it and uh, let us know what you think. So, all right, phone numbers here 833 2880973. That's 833-288-0973, and as always, that'll get you through for your unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Well, well Chase, we also do take a email, email requests from people questions as well. You can do that, again, by going to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Uh, we got uh, a message here from Bruce saying, I have a question regarding two stocks disney and southwest i have owned shares of both in retirement accounts for seven years currently sitting negative from original date of purchase but long term i feel the upside is good should i sell uh, should i sell take the loss or hold and wait for them to get back to pre-covid amounts uh thank you well we can only do one uh because i know we do have some calls coming in but uh which one i do you want to do disney or southwest
2: hmm I think uh, Disney would be interesting. I feel like I haven't looked at them in a while.
1: Really? Okay. I, was say, not, I
2: mean, they both have pros and cons, you know. Yeah,
1: I was gonna say Southwest because. Well, let's do Southwest. Go uh, You know what is their symbol now? that I think
2: love L U V.
1: That's right. I knew they had something nice there. So let's look at the uh, Southwest symbol L U V because I know the uh, airlines they've been doing pretty well. I mean, people travel and so forth. But then I, I think I saw Southwest a week or two ago, like around twenty nine. So it has pulled back from. I think at forty. Uh, not too long ago but uh let's take a look at that we'll, we'll, we'll give you those numbers coming again in Southwest Airlines symbol luV they are obviously in the airline industry only 3.3 percent float on the stock 78 institutional owned PE ratio well higher than I thought here 28.7 but the industry industry is not material price of sales 0.8 versus 0.6 price to book value 2 versus 15.8 for the industry, so that's a positive. Price to cash flow, 5.7 versus 3.8. And the PEG ratio, which is a measurement of what you're paying for the future growth, 0.2 versus 0.5, so that is a good number. Now we do see that the earnings per share grew by 12.6% over the past year. Sales are up 34.7%, that's a big positive. The five-year growth rate, wow, this is phenomenal. 56.8, the industry is only at 30.6. You do get a 2.4% dividend from Southwest Airlines. Uh, The payout ratio 32.4%, that is positive. We see the uh, current ratio 1.3 above the industry of 0.9. And one thing I always love about Southwest, they've always kept their debt in check. Uh, Debt equity 0.9 versus 2.5 for the industry. And then we do see that the uh, net profit margin is 2.7 industry is at zero uh, return on equity is 6.6 uh, industry at 4.7 i'd like to see that return on equity higher uh chase what do you got going forward
2: yeah i was gonna say real quick too on that dividend it's higher than i remember and i think they may have the highest dividend if i'm not mistaken to the airlines i know that they hiked it you said The highest. Highest. I don't think many other airlines pay a dividend that day. So just something I was thinking about. But current price for for Southwest, again, ticker symbol LUV, it's $30.62. And, yeah, as you're saying, 52-week high, $42.09. So pretty substantially off that 52-week high. And the 52-week low is $28.40. I know they ran into some issues at the end of the year with uh, cancellations and flight issues. Uh, I wonder if that's had some problems on their earnings and kind of just, I'm going to say, brand appearance. Going out to December 2024, though, this looks pretty good. Estimated earnings per share, wow, $3.80. That would give us a target sell price of $63.08. And I I just would really have to understand what the heck is going on here because their estimated earnings to grow 129% this year. And then that $3.80 would be another 43% gain off of December 2023 numbers. So their earnings are just exploding. And what is going on in terms of the accounting? Because I know their sales are not going up right. 129%,
1: <laughs> 43%. And, and I'd say there's like 19 analysts that follow this. I mean, one thing that I'm, I'm a little bit concerned about is that travel's been a big boom, a big boom and so forth. Uh, is that going to continue? Yeah. You know, I, I would hate to be like in the COVID where everybody's buying TVs and furniture and that stopped. Now they're traveling. What if next year that stops so based on the analysts they're, they're saying they don't see it.
2: Yeah. No, I, it's, it is something that's in the back of my mind as well is because we know that the experiences, the services have done very well and can it continue? Can the growth continue? I, I don't think the growth can. And we know airline prices have gone up dramatically. I don't think that can continue. Maybe you get some offsets in terms of fuel expenses and so forth, but there's definitely a lot of questions I would have if I bought Southwest that the numbers do look pretty good, though.
1: And, and airlines have always scared me because it's such a capital-intensive business. But, gosh, Southwest, they, they, they've managed through it very well. They, they've run that company well. Uh, I know they had that hiccup, uh, was it last year or whatever, but they just – they're a profitable company they yeah. they do it they run it as a profitable business i mean it's just something that i kind of like and i i'm fit, sitting here thinking no maybe we need to talk about next week if we should maybe look at uh, adding southwest or our uh, buy list
0: so
2: we don't have cash so we can't but i know we're all invested <laughs> but. <laughs> but i, I was going to say real quick too before we go to callers you know bruce pointed out something that that i i really wanted to to stress to individuals to investors is, you know, should I wait for it to get back to those kind of pre-COVID levels? And this is one of the biggest mistakes people make. And in, in Southwest, the numbers look good. So, you know, maybe it does make sense to continue to hold that. But again, the market doesn't know what you paid for right. your your shares in that business. Right. You If you had a company, let's say at $10 a share, and it goes up to 12, that's a 20% gain. But let's say you sold that company and bought another stock at $10 a share and went to $15 a share. Yeah. Well, that's a 50% gain. You would have been better off investing that capital elsewhere. And I'm not saying just like, oh, you're trading all the time, but understanding if this company is still a buy and worth holding, then, yeah, it makes sense to hold it. But if it's not worth that valuation on it, You'd be better off selling these companies and buying something else because, as I said, it could take years for you get to, be- to get back to where you initially bought that stock. <laughs> right. <laughs> All
1: right. Phone number is 833 288 Again, that's 833-288-0973. Let's go to San Diego and speak with Tim. Tim, you're on the Smart Investing Show. Brent Chase, how can we help you?
0: Good morning, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. How are you doing? Good, doing well, doing well. I wanted you uh, to analyze race, R-A-C-E.
1: Okay, do you hold that or look, I'm buying it?
0: Uh, I held it before, um, and then my previous uh, manager sold it off, um, obviously right before it made its big run. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, good job there. It raced higher, huh? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and, and, Tim, I got to tell you a side story because uh, – I'm a big car guy. I love exotic cars. When this first came out, I wanted to buy it for the emotional side, but we always stick to our yep. discipline. I've never bought it. I was like, don't gun it, because I know it's doing very well, but it just doesn't fit the fundamentals. And it. it's like, well,
0: and they say you're. They say, look, if you can't afford one of those things, buy the stock. Well, I'm a dumbass, and I bought the car versus the stock, <laughs> and here we are.
1: Well, and, and, and I'm the same way. I have the cars, but I just don't, <laughs> I don't have the stock. I but uh, but you get a lot more pleasure. <laughs> I think out of driving the cars and looking at them, then you will yeah. out of just looking at this. Well, you don't need to get a stock certificate anymore. <laughs> so. But let's look at the numbers. Let's see if we should get back into this or not. The company, again, is Ferrari. <laughs> They're symbol I love it. Race, R-A-C-E. Uh, in the industry of auto manufacturers. I'm surprised the uh, float on this on the short side is pretty high, 12.5%. Only 39% institutional owned. P.E. ratio, yes, still high, 51.3 versus 10.3. Price to sales, 9.5 versus 0.8. Price to book value, 73.5 versus 4.7. And price to cash flow, 36.6 versus 7.9. Now, this is the only number that looks good. The peg ratio, which is, again, what you're paying for the future growth of the company, 3.5 versus 11.2 for the industry. So all the other valuations ratios look terrible, but the growth is looking pretty good. Now, the earnings are up uh, 15.8% over the past year. Industry down 11.2. Sales climbed by 20.1, above the industry 18.9. The five-year growth rate for Ferrari, 12.8 versus 6.3. They only pay a 0.7% dividend. Use 25% of the earnings to pay that out. Uh, we do see that uh, current ratio, 3.8 versus 1.5. That's good. Debt to equity, 1 versus 0.6. Net profit margin very good, eighteen point six versus five point six and return equity also very good. Thirty-five point three versus fourteen point three. So Chase, give me some bad numbers going. You know, Ford, so so Tim and I don't feel bad about owning the cars and not owning the, uh, the stock here.
2: Of course. Well, I was going to say, too, is I know a lot of times people kind of justify these higher valuations for Ferrari because the the margins. I mean, obviously, look at your traditional auto manufacturers. They don't trade at these types of valuations. Right. And it is something that, that has concerned us. But we'll look at the, the prices here first. Current price for, again, race, it's Ferrari, $297.80. Right near the 52-week high of $302.86, and the low is $167.45. Wow, year-to-date, it's done very well. Sorry to bring that up again, (laughs) Tim, but up uh, 40%. If we go out to December 2024, though, estimated earnings per share, $7.73. Would give us a target sell price of $128.32. I mean, it trades at a forward P.E. multiple of about 39 times. I just... I got to say I feel like that that stock price those stock price gains they, they just appear to be running out of gas if you
1: will. Oh very 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 good pun there. Um and there seems to be something gone with with Ferrari fits in there, uh these high-end purses, uh Louis Vuitton and stuff like that. I mean, I, I forget the name of the company Hennessy or something is the name of the company? Oh it's
2: LVMH. Uh
1: yeah, but they're owned by somebody. Is that it who they own? LVMH by?
2: Is, okay. owns Hennessy, they own
1: uh That's Louis Vuitton, yeah. yeah. And 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 they're just also very expensive and i just like you're 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 at the top of the mountain for these companies and i would have loved to have ferrari really missed out on some big buys here but it just has never fit in and you don't want to be the guy that comes in and mm-hmm. buys at the top you know and then it goes down at least if the price of the cars go down for us tim at least we still have them you know but the stock goes down right you lose money you're gonna be all upset about it. so I, I i would love to say yes it's a buy let's buy it and so forth but oh no my discipline just says... It
0: seemed too high. I don't like that P.E. being that high, but I just thought it would be funny to, to have you guys analyze it <laughs> on the air because you just don't see this. How often you don't see it. People don't even know that Ferrari has a stock. Yeah. They're like, yeah. what? Yeah. I didn't even know that was traded. Yeah.
1: So And, and Pim, some people said, I can't afford this, the car, so I will buy some shares of stock, but... I think then they'd be disappointed because they don't have the car. They buy the stock at what was it, you say three hundred? <laughs> it goes down to two hundred. You're gonna be upset because yeah, you lost money. Too, so.
0: I think yeah, I agree with you. I think it's I think it's it's too high. They just the problem is the the great thing for them is they charge their net profit on every car. Their profit on every car is some stupid amount. Oh yeah, it was uh, like what I said was thousand dollars a car.
1: Yeah, because well because they have expensive car. What was the profit margin? I I gave it out there. What did I say it was? It was like
0: nineteen
2: percent.
1: Nineteen percent. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, you have a. You have a $300,000 car, that's about $60,000. In yeah, industry
2: car. again was about <laughs> $5. Right, so right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Tim, I'm sorry we can't say buy the stock, but and I wish it was a, <laughs> a sunny day okay. today, but take the car out for a drive and feel a little bit better. All righty?
0: <laughs> Thanks, guys.
1: <laughs> All right, you're welcome. Have a good one. Bye bye. All right, that is open the phone line, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Um, I do see that, uh, Anthony, stay with us. We're going to get to you. But uh, we do have our financial planner, Harrison Johnson, on the line. We're going to talk to him because he's talking about uh, long-term care. Harrison, wh- what do you got to say about long-term care here this morning?
3: All right. So the long-term care, uh leader in life can be quite expensive, whether it's a nursing home, having a caregiver in your home, assisted living, all pretty expensive. Anyone who is going through that or had a parent go through it knows that. Uh, One thing I hear quite a bit is, you know, my mom or dad needed long-term care, but fortunately they had a long-term care insurance policy, which really helped out a lot. So, um, you know, they had a positive experience with those insurance policies. The problem is those insurance policies do not exist anymore, at least in the capacity that they used to. So here's what's happened in the long-term care insurance industry. It started in the 80s at that time, almost every financial companies sold the policies not just insurance companies so there are a lot of providers out there Um, now when you look at insurance any type of insurance auto home long-term care life insurance whatever utility of insurance is to cover an event that is not likely to happen so low probability but if it does happen it would be extremely expensive so high impact low probability high impact like your house burning down not likely to happen But if it did, it would be financially catastrophic. So that's why you have insurance, pay a little premium for that protection. In the case of long-term care, it was thought to be a low probability, high impact event. But over time, the insurance companies discovered that it was definitely expensive, so high impact, but it was also occurring more often than they thought. So it was really a high probability event as well. This means it's difficult to cover that need with insurance. So what's happened is most of the insurance companies no longer sell it, and the ones that do drastically increase the premiums required for the policies and have drastically cut the benefits in an attempt to stay profitable. So policies that your parent bought with lifetime benefits and low premiums, you just can't buy anymore. Now, if you currently have a policy You know, that might be okay, it might make sense to keep it, but I would be hard-pressed to recommend someone buying one, a new one, in this environment just because the cost-benefit ratio isn't what it used to be. Now, that doesn't mean the need isn't there, it just needs to be covered by something else. And for many, um, that protection can come from their home or the equity that they have in their home. During retirement, you create income from Social Security, pensions, and investable assets. And in most cases, the only thing you use your home for is to live in. Well, if necessary, that home equity can be tapped to cover elder care costs later in life without the need to buy insurance policies now and be locked into a high increasing premium for the rest of your life. So, um, you know, it's, it's still an issue, but you need to explore all the options. And I'll say if this stuff made sense to sell, we would sell it. You know, we're not against making money, um, but I just don't feel it's in the best interest of a lot of people at this point the way it, it currently works.
1: Right, and, and actually when you say sell it, we don't sell anything, you don't sell any products. You would recommend like, yeah, it'd be a good thing. And I know it's been very difficult for companies because fortunately people are living longer, which means their expenses go up. And right now all insurance is having problems. We're, uh, tomorrow we'll be on KEO side talking about the uh, homeowners insurance problem we have here in California. We can't get homeowners insurance. We got long-term care insurance insurance is just a factor that someone needs to make a profit off it and if people are living longer they got to raise the premiums and i think it was last week you talked about reverse mortgages this would probably be a great time to have a reverse mortgage instead of buying long-term care insurance is that a good uh, good thought process
3: it really could be so um i mean the benefit of reverse more reverse mortgages, is you stay in your home so if you had like um, a caregiver come in to your house, this would will, this will allow you to stay in your house. You could tap that equity. As long as you live there, you never have to pay it back. Um, you use that equity, but, you know, that might be a lot better than buying a really expensive insurance policy and paying premiums for 30 years. Um, or in other cases, you know, people downsize or move into a, you know assisted living facility. They sell their house. Well, now they've got the equity from that. Um, uh, to help fund that so you know I think a lot of people discount the value that their home can create they've spent their whole life you know paying off their home or or at least building equity in it so make sure that that asset is is used not just as a place to live but to cover these other potential costs
2: right and one thing too that I always look at people are so funny when they look at different things like long-term care insurance (laughs) and I'm just gonna use a very simple number let's say it costs you ten thousand dollars well, I'm not saying don't save $10,000. Know? Right. Don't just go as like, right. oh, I don't need long-term care, now I can go spend more money. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. The the concept should be is instead of spending that $10,000 on long-term care, you now invest that money and you're essentially self-insuring yourself and you have multiple different assets that you can utilize in retirement in the unfortunate case that that does occur. But, you know, it's most people, unfortunately, they go, Oh, I don't need it. Great. Okay. You know, I'm going to go spend the money instead. Right. Right. That's not good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
3: So and, and, and when you look at it from a retirement spec point, it's not necessarily that you're setting money aside and saving it. It's just that, well, now you don't have to withdraw that premium from your assets to pay. So that means that money can stay invested and continue to compound. So it's not like you're actively putting it away. It's just, now you, you don't have to, to use it so it can continue to grow for you
1: yeah well harrison once again uh, some great information on long-term care insurance this is why people need to go to you as a financial planner because you don't charge commissions you don't sell products you're on a salary uh you actually look from an unbiased point of view if they need it or not uh and how to work around it maybe they can't afford it so thank you very much uh, you have a great weekend and we'll see you monday morning
3: all right thanks guys we'll see you monday
1: okay bye-bye Again, there's our financial planner, Harrison Johnson. He is a CFP. Again, he is a fee-based planner. He does not charge commissions on anything. He's on a salary. If you'd like to have a free consultation with him, you can do that. Just call the office, 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or send him an email. Just go to our website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. Probably two places you can do it. One is meet the team or contact. I contact us uh, that way. Send an email
2: or free consultation right at the top of the page. There, didn't see that. Gosh, <laughs>
1: <laughs> actually, I do see in the middle of the page. We're talking about because we always have our website pulled up here in front of us. Is kind of how we get to it. On the middle of the page, at the bottom of the screen, I see request a complimentary. Consultation. So
2: there's lots of places you can leave us notes if you do right. want to contact us.
1: And there is a phone number right in the right hand side. I mean, we, we make it pretty easy for people. We do. So, we try. Yeah, we, t- we try to make it easy. So, all right. So, uh, phone numbers here 833 288 0973. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Anthony. Anthony, you're on the Smart Vessel Show, Brent and Chase. How can we help you?
3: Hi, good morning. Thank you both for taking my call. Sure. So, I'm calling because I'd like. What uh, you guys have to say about Dell? D-E-L-L.
1: Okay. You, you know, I've not lived this company in a while. Do you hold it, uh, Anthony, or are you looking to buy that? No, I'm looking
3: to buy it.
1: Okay. All right. Let's take that uh, Dell Technologies, uh symbol is D-E-L-L, uh, float on this stock, only 4.2%, not bad, 78% owned by institutions, PE ratio looking pretty good, 17.9 versus 24.5, price of sales very good, 0.4 versus 0.6 unfortunately the price to book value is not material versus the industry at 3.2 what that means is that they have more intangible assets you take those away there's nothing there at all so that's a that could be a problem uh price of cash flow 6.3 versus 10.1 that's good uh peg going forward 56.4 versus 14.4 that's not good the lower the peg ratio the better uh, earnings per share fell by 52% over the past year. Uh, the industry down 31.2%. Sales are only down 2.3%. I say only because the industry fell by 18.2%. The five-year growth rate on Dell is 0.2%, below the industry at 3.7. They do pay a 3.1% dividend, use 40%. Their earnings to pay that out. Uh, they have a current ratio of 0. 0.8 versus 2.1, and no debt to equity because remember, there's no equity there, so that could be a problem. We do see a net profit margin at 2.4%, below the industry at 25 Return on equity a negative 78.2% versus 315 Return on invested capital 13.8%. Uh, versus 15.9. So I'm, I'm not feeling very good about this, Chase. I'm very curious what it's going to look like going forward.
2: It's very interesting, too, because didn't they go private and then they went public? Ag- yeah, there's like yeah. a kind of really messed up a lot of these numbers, I'm going to say.
1: And, and it may have because we actually bought it uh, pr- prior to him going private, and we made a small profit, and then Michael Dell took it private and kind of cut our profits. We made, a again, a small profit from it, but uh, I was disappointed that he didn't let it go Keep going, and we would have had a bigger profit, but yeah.
2: mess up the numbers. Yeah. yeah, and and looking at the current price here for, again, Dell. Dell Technologies, D-E-L-L, is the ticker symbol. It's $47.61. 52-week high is $50.70, and the low is $32.90. Good-sized company here with about a $35 billion market cap. We go out to the January 2025. I do see estimated earnings per share of $6.13. Would give us a target sell price of $101.76 forward P.E. about seven and a half, eight times future earnings. Uh, good valuation on it. I'm just concerned about the balance sheet. Also, I know they obviously do the, the laptops. Right. Uh, They also said they're in data center. I would want to understand a little bit more of the breakdown of their business. I would assume actually they would have struggled a little bit more because we know that laptops took a pretty big hit after the huge COVID boom and the slowdown. So I'm surprised their stocks actually held up as well as it has, but maybe they have other uh, streams of revenue that that are able to offset that. So just would need to know more about the business.
1: Yeah, we are are halfway through 2023 here pretty much. And uh, we do know that the refresh cycle for PCs and so forth is about every three years. So that's going to be probably starting to come up next that's year. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah, I know, it is crazy. But but, uh, Anthony, what you have to do is see what their business is made up of, because we talk about the data centers, you talk about PCs. You got to understand what, what their business comes from, because there will be a refresh cycle probably in 24, 25. Uh, the stock looks like it's pretty good based on the future earnings, but I would really want to understand more about what the business relies on.
2: And the balance sheet. The balance sheet yes. is very troubling and concerning that they have no equity. So I would definitely understand that. And that could have been something from the the spin out that occurred a couple hours. Not spin out, but going public again. Something could have skewed that data. Yeah.
1: All right, Anthony. Okay. Thank you. All right, you're welcome. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Okay. All right. That does open the phone line. 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833 288 zero nine seven three let's go to san diego and speak with zach zach you're on the smart special brent chase how can we help you
0: good morning gentlemen good morning happy saturday yes it yeah. is um i wanted to get you guys' uh analysis on shopify s-h-o-p
1: okay do you hold that looking to buy that
0: currently holding small amount. But, you know, it's been running hot, and I don't know if now's a good time to maybe move money into something else or continue to
3: see if it
0: is going to uh, grow. All
1: right. Well, let's take a look at some numbers here, see if we can't uh, point in the right direction here. company, again, is a Shopify, symbol S-H-O-P. They're in the software application industry. 5.4% uh, float, that's not bad. 66% institutional owned. No P.E. ratio, which tells me no earnings over the past year. The industry's at 9.2%, 9. or 9.2 times. Uh, price to sales, 13.3 versus 5.4. Price to book, 9.3 versus 5.5. No price to cash flow either, and no peg ratio. Uh, no earnings growth, I guess they have no earnings. Uh, the sales were up 22.3% which is below the industry over the past year, over 23.4%. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Uh, let's look at their uh, balance sheet here. Current ratio, very good, 6.7 versus 2. Debt to equity, 0.2 versus 1.7. I'll point out the current ratio and the quick ratio are the same, so they have a lot of liquidity on this company. Uh, net profit margin, a negative 32.5 versus a negative 5.3. Return to equity, a negative 22.7 versus one point five. Chase, what do you got?
2: Yeah, so current price here for Shopify again, ticker symbols S H O P shop is sixty one dollars and thirty six cents. Fifty two week high is sixty five dollars and fifty four cents. And I will say it's a little misleading because the now that we're kind of starting to lap last year and we're, yeah. we're starting to push the early part of two thousand twenty two behind us for the 52 week high because this company's all-time high just a couple years ago was $170 a share oh, yeah. so it got hit very hard last year in a massive sell-off uh, but the 52 week low you can see it fell as low as 2363 so year-to-date it's done well up 76.8 percent now going forward for shopify i do see in december 2024 the estimated earnings per share for the company is just $0.51. What gives a target sell price of just $8.47? I mean, this is a growth stock. You're looking at earnings growth here in 2023 is 672%. Next year, they're estimating 64%. So you're hoping that those earnings can keep growing. And this reminds me of, you look at like a, a Cisco back in 2000. They went obviously way up and then they just fell and then they had a bounce back. And then they fell even harder. Right. I'd be worried about something like that happening again with a lot of these growth stocks. People are like, oh, it's a, it's a great buying opportunity. You've done well on it, and then all of a sudden it falls back down. Unless they can continue growing at these massive rates, yeah, maybe the stock will do okay. But if all of a sudden, let's say they grow at 50% instead of 60%, the stock is not going to do well.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, it, it's a, uh, and I think you said you made uh, money on it, uh, Zach. There, so I many congratulations on that. Uh, my opinion, I think Chase's opinion, very risky, could go higher, but I'd have to say at this level, if you came to us, I'd say, we got to sell out of this because it just doesn't make any sense at these levels and could go higher, but I don't feel comfortable with that price already.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a good time to exit. It makes sense, right? Like half of the country probably started an online business in 2020. So <laughs> it all, it all adds up. Um, so I think it's probably a good time to exit. Just wanted to get that confirmation from
1: you guys Uh, all right well let us know what you do thank you all right have a good one bye-bye
0: thank
1: you all right let's go out to up to Oceanside and speak with Carl Carl you're in the Smart Vegetable Brent Chase how can we help you
0: yes um, I bought Twilio T W L O at 68 but it is going down again I'm wondering should I stay in there I want to know your opinion on the company.
1: Okay. Well, let's take a look at Twilio here, symbol T W L O, to see if we can give you any guidance going forward. They're an internet content and information industry. Uh, only 4.3% float on the short side, 80.5% institutional owned. No P.E. ratio versus 28.4 for the industry. Price of sales, 3 versus 5.2. That's positive. Price of book value, 2.8 versus 43.1. Peg ratio, 0. 0.5 versus 10.9. That is a positive. Uh, no earnings per share over the past year. The industry was down 26.9%. Now, sales for Twilio were up 26.6. That's well Uh, Above the industry growth at uh, 3.1%. The five year estimated earnings per share growth by the analysts, 102.8% versus 15.7. I think that's what's driving the stock is some major growth is expected going forward. Uh, looking at the balance sheet here, they, they do not pay a dividend, by the way. Balance sheet, a good current ratio, 6.2 versus 2.4. Debt equity, 0.1 versus 0.2. Net profit margin is a negative, and that's a negative 34.8%. Industry's a positive 17.5. Return to equity, a negative 13.3 versus a positive 21.5. Chase, what do you see going forward?
2: Yeah, so current price here for Twilio, again, ticker symbol TWLO, $63.89. Yep, well off the 52-week high still of $101.93. See, 52-week low, $41 a share. Year-to-date stocks up 30.5%. Decent-sized company with a market cap of close to $12 billion. $12 billion. If I go out to December 2024, I do see estimated earnings per share of $1.89. That would give us a target sell price of $31.37. So it still trades at about a 4 PE of 34 times. It's definitely expensive there, Carl. It's, uh, it's another one of those growth stocks. It's definitely not where we would want to be uh, in, in this current market. I, I think a lot of growth stocks have done well in terms of a short-term recovery, but I, I just worry long-term they've already had so much run-up over the last couple of years that... You know this this could continue to fall for you
0: yes okay thank you
2: all right thank you for calling have a good one Bye. and you know I, I was gonna say there I, I think I want to try and do a, a post on this as well there's a interesting research report also done I think it was by Goldman Sachs and they talked to again about the tech boom and bust right and they pointed out I think it was Cisco Microsoft and Intel and they showed the PEs of those companies during the, the tech boom And I think Cisco got to like 120 times earnings and that's why we always say, just because we say it, it's overvalued doesn't mean it can't go higher. Yeah. And Cisco is a prime example of that. Now, if you look at the long-term chart of Cisco, the stock just plummets. And the funny thing that, that Morgan Stanley pointed out during that, or again, Morgan Stanley Goldman Sachs, one of, one of those firms, was that during the tech bust, it's not like these tech companies weren't growing. Right. They were still growing in those years, but they just weren't growing fast enough to justify that valuation. So when you look at the valuation multiple, we say, yeah, I mean, it, it's just expensive. And then all of a sudden it's like, wait a minute, but they still grew at 15%. Like, why would the stock fall? Well, because if you're as anticipating 30% growth, there's no way that that company should be valued at, and I'm gonna say 30, 40 times earnings any longer.
1: Yep. And I've been managing money now for over 40 years. I did actually manage money through the tech boom. And I was the dumbest guy on the street because I would not pay these high valuation ratios. And I was wrong for probably about two years. Uh, and people said, oh, yeah, you know, you deal with the old accounting. That doesn't work anymore and so forth. And it's like, no, uh, I'm going to stick to it because to me, whether it's uh, 100 years ago or 100 years from now, you always want to invest in a business that is going to be profitable. That's why you invest in a business for profitable. Now, if you're speculating, that's something different. But to invest for long term, you should never buy a company that's not profitable because of the fact that why are you buying it? You, you want earnings. You want cash flow cash flow I mean you, you want these things and and the industry will change uh going forward there'll be different tools to use but the and even Warren Buffett has said this I I, I think I saw him say this uh that the fundamentals will never change they can't it's a business it's got to be profitable you can look at the sales the earnings the debt all these things I don't care how, I mean when I first started doing this prodigy was like wow prodigy and in and, and three minutes, I can get what the P.E. ratio is supposed <laughs> to waiting for it by figuring out. Things will change, but the concept of investing will never change.
2: It'll never change. And, it, and again, it doesn't matter if it's stocks or if it's real estate. You want to look at analyzing the cash flows and the earnings. And obviously with you know, real estate, it's going to be rents, but ultimately it still should be a function of a good investment, what you're paying for that investment and how long it's going to take you to recoup that investment in terms of those earnings and cash flows. Right. And that premise will never change, as you said, because that is how you make money investing. If I told you, hey, buy this thing, and it's going to take you 50 years to get your money back, most people are going to look like, you, like you're like you crazy. Right, right. That will never change.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you've got to understand the difference between speculation and investing. And we don't speculate. We never, never have, never will. We always invest. And even then. I tell people we're wrong by the third of the time. You're still going to be wrong investing. There's going to be things that change on you and so forth. But you're not going to lose big because when you speculate, you could lose everything or lose 80, 90% of what you invested because what you thought was going to happen didn't happen. You have nothing to hold on to as far as profits or, or sales or anything else.
2: Yeah, and I, I I encourage you go look at a long-term chart of Cisco. And if you held it during the tech boom and bust, you are still not at the peak that Cisco yep. hit back in, I think it was 2000, when they hit that peak, and it's now 23 years later.
1: I think there's another coming, to a JDS Uniface. And everyone's why I see that come up, and they were the same one. I mean, they, they were way high. I don't think they ever got back to where they were. Uh, there were some other ones, too, that uh, came out that, that time frame that they, they just – they're still around, and they still got an exciting story, but you've not made money on it because it will speculate. Things will go up, and then generally as the investor – you know, people always say this. Well, when I bought it, it went down. It it didn't know that you bought that's <laughs> not because you did something. It's just because of the fact that you got in late. And 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 that's what we try to prevent people from doing. And and great example, NVIDIA. Yeah. Uh they're very high. Will they go higher? Possible, but they trade it even now with future earnings as much as they've raised them. And they may not make those. Something could change coming up. Um, they could they could fall, you know, 30%, 40 percent again.
2: Yeah, and, and actually speaking of NVIDIA, I did do a uh, smart investing stock analysis on our YouTube channel. Oh, cool. I'm trying to do those again. Uh, I know a lot of people liked them. So if you go to our YouTube channel, you just type in smart investing show or, or we'll see asset management on YouTube. You, you can actually watch that video or break down NVIDIA and the fundamentals. Cool.
1: All right. Well, there's the closing bell. Thanks for listening to smart investing show. It is for informational purposes only and should not be used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail your investment needs, have other investment questions, Feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. And be sure to visit that website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com. A lot of great information there. Thanks again for listening to Smart Investing Show. We'll be back next week. Have a great week, and we'll talk with you soon. So
0: amusing to think and I did all that and may I say